Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Hello, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. Thank you so much for listening. This is Talk Radio WABC, the number one talk radio station in these United States. And I appreciate so much all of our regular listeners to our show. And uh, to the new listeners, I hope you will become a regular listener. We talk about the intersection of Wall Street and the economy and finance and uh, how to make more money uh, for you in your investments, but also to appreciate the greatness of America and the, the greatness of the land of opportunity, which America still is and always will be if we preserve this great republic that, uh, that was uh, given to us by God. I really believe that uh, Ronald Reagan had it right when he said it was divine providence that put America here as a beacon of freedom for the rest of the world. And uh, for all of the criticism and the trashing of America that we see on the left. I don't buy it for a minute. We're not a, we're not a perfect people by any means, but we are the greatest country on earth. So thank you so much for joining us. By the way, did you miss me last week? Come on, be honest. Did you miss me? Uh, I missed uh, being on the show. First time I've missed doing the show in two years, uh, my wife and I, Anne, took a cruise uh, uh, in the Caribbean for eight days. It's, as I said, it was really the first week-long vacation I've taken on a long, long time, so I couldn't do the, the radio show on the in the middle of the, <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. I was on the cruise with my great, great friend and my mentor, uh, Steve Forbes. It was a Forbes cruise. If you ever have a chance to do one of those, they're really, really a lot of fun. You, you, uh, you have a lot of sessions on what's going on with the world and the economy, and then you get to go to these great islands. We went to Barbados, and we went to St. Martin's, and uh, we went to St. Bars, and just had a really, really fun time. But I'm back in action, and I, I, um, I'm so pleased that you are back listening to me. So a lot to cover because we didn't get to cover stuff uh, last week. Um, let's start with this. Big, big happenings this week in the States where uh, my hero, Kim Reynolds, who is the governor of Iowa. Now, you're probably wondering, why am I bringing up the governor of Iowa? And the reason I'm bringing her up is because she um, signed into law a major, major school voucher bill. And that, what that bill does is it basically says, you know what? We're going to give the power of the schools to the parents. Because you know what? The parents are the ones who know best what's best for their children not the teachers' unions. And I'm not against teachers. I've always said many times on this show that a great teacher, and I have, I've been lucky in my life, I had 
four or five great teachers in my lifetime. I mean, really great teachers who inspired me to learn. And a great teacher is worth their weight in gold. And I bet if you think back at your time when you were in school, whether it was in the second grade or fourth grade, I, by the way, I, one of my first memories was being in kindergarten and I just had the biggest crush on Miss Katner, who was my, my kindergarten teacher. Uh, but, you know, a great teacher leaves, inspires you and um, uh, teaches you how to learn and how to think and how to appreciate the whole learning process. Uh, and so teachers are fantastic. The unions, not so much so. The teachers' unions, I think, have destroyed the schools. And... Um, I want to say this, that Kim Reynolds basically said, you know what, let's let the money follow the kids. In other words, if you want to send your kid to a Catholic school or a Jewish school or a Montessori school or maybe a music school, maybe your kid has some exceptional talent. You know, I have five boys. (laughs) I've had five uh, sons. No, they're not boys anymore. Well, th- three of them are out, out of the nest finally, but two of them are still in the nest in high school. And the one thing I've learned from having five children, three of them, by the way, um, are my sons and two of them are my stepsons. Uh, they all are all different. They're all different. They have different needs. They have different capacities. They have different interests. Uh, some excel in science, some excel in math, some excel in writing, some excel in, in you know, just uh, what I call EQ of being able to figure out uh, what's going on in a room as soon as they walk in. There's a difference between EQ and IQ. Uh, some of them just have street smarts. You need to have re- education should be tailored, in my opinion, to the children. And it's, we shouldn't be warehousing kids in school. Now, you're probably wondering why am I talking on, about this on the More Money Show, because I'm going to make a case to you folks that this is absolutely critical to our future as a country. Our, you know, what's the old saying? Our children are our future. I mean, that is just a, obviously true. And I've spent some time in some of the public schools in some of our inner cities. In, I'm from Chicago, as many of you know. Uh, I've seen what goes on in the Chicago, Chicago public schools, mostly minority kids. They're being cheated. They're being cheated out of an education. There's not much learning going on because there's not much discipline. There's not much expectations. It's out of control. Uh, and that is, it, it, it'll bring tears to your eyes. Same thing if you go into the, many of the, not all of them, but many of the New York public schools, tears to your eyes to see how these kids who want to learn. Because look, when you're 8, 10, 12 years old, you want to learn. You want to understand how the world works. It's just not happening. And So I love this idea of letting the parents pick a school. You can pick your grocery store. Think about this. As a consumer, you can pick your hospital. You can pick your grocery store. You can pick your movie. You can pick blah, 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 everything. The one thing that we don't let um, parents and consumers choose is the school they go to, unless you're rich. Unless you're rich or upper middle income and you can afford to get your kids out of those terrible schools the lower income and lower middle income people can't do that. And they're stuck in these warehouses that I think are doing great, great damage to our future and to our children. Uh, you know, what's the old saying that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And it is so, so true. So uh, I want, I'm going to be taking your 
calls at the end of the show, probably about in about 25, 30 minutes. And so the topic of the day, I want to hear from you all. Again, I'm going to give first preference to the ladies because the mothers are the ones who are really so responsible for the education of their kids. So I want to hear from you. What do you think? Why don't we just convert our education system into a system where, yes, we have public schools. Yes, that's a foundation of America. But if parents can find better options for their kids that are suited for the special needs that every children has and special talents, some people have, you know, um, you know, I have, a, I have a son who had some special needs, but I also had a son who was exceptional, gifted and talented. So I've seen the full range and I want to see the schools and the programs and the curriculum tailored to the student. And I don't want the unions telling our parents and our school districts how they run the schools. We saw what the teachers unions did during COVID. They shamefully shut down our, our schools. We saw what happened with the educational outcomes. We saw that last year, our children had the worst test scores in 40 years because the teachers unions shut down the schools I love the uh, the president of the uh, teacher union the other day admitted, oh, gee, we finally figured out that remote learning doesn't work. Oh, well, gee, you're the one who forced remote learning on our kids. So um, that's the topic du jour. Do you think we should allow parents to choose the schools for their kids, or do you think it should be done by the teachers unions and the school districts? Because this is a critical issue for our national security, for our economy, for our families, for people making money. If you come out of school and you don't know how to do anything, you can't read, you can't write, you can't do arithmetic, you can't multiply, you're not going to be in high demand in this uh, information age economy. So I want your thoughts about this. As you can tell, I feel really passionate about it. I have two, my two um, sons, those are my stepsons that are, I think they're 16 and 17 now. Um, they both uh, have very different capacities. They're both great, great kids. One of them is kind of a troublemaker, but he's really smart. He's, sometimes he's too smart for his own good. Uh, and the other one's very introverted, but really smart. And the public, it just wasn't working for him in the public schools. They weren't tailoring, you know, they were getting lost in the public schools. We sent them to a Catholic school, it's a, it's a school that has monks, believe it or not. Uh, you don't see a lot of monks around anymore, and it has, uh, you know, nuns, and they're doing fantastic. I, I, I mean, it is so amazing. And you know what? Here's what I've discovered, folks. From and, and I know this isn't the usual topic I talk about on this show. Usually I talk about money, but this is related to money. It's related to the future of our economy. And what I discovered was that these kids are doing enormously, so much better. I'm so proud of how well they're doing. And it's three things. Here are the three things that I believe you need for a successful education of our children. Number one, ready? You can write this stuff down. Number one, you need to have order and discipline in the classroom. That seems so patently obvious, but I'm going to tell you, folks, it's not in the classrooms right now in many public schools. There is no discipline. People running around, people shouting, people swearing. Uh, you you go walk down the halls of some of the high schools, people screaming and yelling. Pandemonium in our schools. Nobody can learn in that kind of environment. So, one, restore order and restore 
discipline in the classroom. By the way, these kids want to be disciplined. I mean, they may not like it. And by the way, I went to Catholic schools where you got, if you said something out of hand or you were misbehaving, that nun would take the ruler and she'd smack your knuckles so hard. I got the bruises on my hands, folks. I'm not making this up. I got the bruises on my hands from these nuns whacking me. But boy, did we learn the lesson that you better, you know, uh, behave yourself in the classroom. So that's number one. You've got to have discipline. Number two, expectations, high expectations. Set the expectations and set the bar up high for our kids, you know, so they can pull vault over those expectations. That's the path to excellence. And we don't have high expectations with our kids right now. Make the curriculum rigorous. My kids are taking Latin. They have to take a foreign language. They're, they take chemistry. They take physics. It's an incredibly rigorous academic uh, environment they're in. They're up sometimes till 11 o'clock at night doing homework. But you know what? This is going to pay off in spades for these kids uh, once they become adults. And the third thing you need is you need a classical classic civilization, Western civilization curriculum. Uh, the curriculum in the government schools today is so outrageous. I saw the other day, you know, there's a big um, controversy of what's going on with these schools in, in Florida. And the governor there basically said, we're going to get rid of some of these textbooks. And the left, oh, my God, there's Ron DeSantis. You're trying to, you know, uh, censure. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, telling the kids what they have to learn. And so my friend sent me some of the pages of these textbooks. Unbelievable. And these are third and fourth graders, and they're showing two men having sex, and things like that. I mean, come on. What does that have to do with our education? So um, here is what uh, I want to ask you. Do you think we stick with the current program? Do you agree that we should have vouchers? Here's an idea. What about vouchers in New York? More charter schools, more Catholic schools, more Jewish schools, more. Let everybody have, let's have a whole array of schools so we can return to excellence. We can do it in Cleveland. We can do it in Milwaukee. We can do it in Houston. We can do it in Los Angeles. We can do it in my hometown of Chicago. And you want to reduce the income disparities in America? You want to um, have minorities do better in this country? I say give our kids a first rate education. Okay, I'm going to get off my high horse now. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear from the ladies, the mothers. What do you think? Do you think this makes sense? The number, don't call in yet, maybe in about 20, 25 minutes. The 1-800 number is 1-800-922. Wait a minute. Mr. Producer, what is that? What is that 1-800 number that we've got? Uh, 1-800- uh, Oh, I remember. 1-800-848-9222. Sorry, I had a brain fart there. 1-800-848-9222. Do you think we should give our kids more options in schools? And do you think this would improve our economy? We will be right back with the pains. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station 
in these United States. And now it is time for our uh, finance and money panel with Bob and Ryan Payne, two of the best in the business in terms of advice about how to manage your money. Uh, gentlemen, thank you again uh, this week for joining us. Let's get right down to it. We got some decent um, fourth quarter GDP numbers. It looks like the economy is doing a little better than it was doing at the first half of this year, which offers a lot of new opportunities for investors as we get into 2023. What do you think about the economy right now? And what do you think about the market? Well, Steve, well, first of all, we got great economic news, right? We had a GDP that came in at 2.9%, right? Slightly above expectations. Um, and, you know, as we kept talking about last year, the pessimism had become so excessive, so thick, you know, that, that you know, that kind of droned out all the good news or potential good news that could happen. And now you're seeing that reaction. You've seen the market rally since the beginning of the year. Um, this, this month has been a phenomenal month. And as they say, as goes January, so goes the year. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Uh, Ryan, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about the market, it really trades between expectations and reality. And I think the thing that stood out to me last year was just the negativity was so strong. And as you know, we keep more of an optimistic view of things. Um, you know, we felt the economy wasn't really falling off a cliff. And then now it's becoming right. apparent it's not falling off a cliff. And now you're seeing what's happening is that gap is getting filled in. Markets are going up because it's like, wait a second. I thought we were going into this dire recession. Even Europe might not go into recession. So, you know, I, I think the bottom line is here is people are in better shape than we anticipated. And, and the markets are telling you that, that things aren't that bad. So one thing that I've been chopping at the bit to talk to you both about is because I get asked so many times about this is the technology sector. And we've seen you know, something like 75 or 80,000 announced um, layoffs uh, by the, uh, you know, the big boys in the, in the uh, technology markets, including Amazon and, and uh, Facebook. And uh, I saw Cisco is laying off people and so on. Is, is the technology sector, do you have a sense of what's going on in the, in the technology sector? Should people be avoiding those NASDAQ stocks that did so well for so long? Well, it's already they've already had their correction, Steve, and and, and that's <laughs> right, the thing. It's right. like you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it's the warnings that we gave last year. Hopefully, were heated because you know it certainly worked out that way. But the key is, is it's not so much to be focused on technology; it's to make sure that the rest of your portfolio is diversified because you want to have, you know, as we kept saying, you want to have money in non-U.S. stocks. I mean, if you go back right. to last year. Um, believe it or not, 70% of all stock markets on the globe outperformed the U.S. stock market. 70%. Um, you right. had you know, Germany, which had the most dire outlook uh, because of their economy, because of energy, because of Ukraine and, and Russia. That stock market's up 41% since September, Steve. 41%. Wow. So there's wow. opportunities. Um, yeah, you know what? Don't sell your growth stocks, but don't be chasing them. Make sure you have money in all the other areas that are in good valuations and give you great future opportunity. Well, Bob, you mentioned a really important point there too about these tech companies that they, you know, they had a you know horrific year in 2022, and maybe they've bottomed them out. Ryan, what do you think? <laughs> Definitely, maybe, Steve. Um, I think you got to be careful there. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's a, a typical financial end. Definitely. Maybe. No, but I think, I think bottom line is look, you have to be careful. If you look at when the NASDAQ bubble burst back in 2000, um, you had yep. magnificent rallies in tech, but 
stocks continue to go lower. And I think you have the same risk here and now, you know, valuations are still not cheap in tech. Um, and right. I have to mention that Google laid off 38 of their masseuses. So I feel yep. really bad for the workers now. They can't get massages yep. <laughs> on the job over there. Yeah. But, but I think the point is, I think it's dangerous to invest in the winners of the last 10 years because investors tend to look in the rearview mirror. Um, tech is not necessarily cheap right now. Um, you know, have a, have a percentage maybe there, but don't be doubling down on tech. Uh, there's a good chance that could be dead money. Even you're getting a bounce here. Um, there's a risk it go nowhere for, for a decade. And that's what we right. saw um, when the tech bubble burst before and that could happen right. again. So you, you definitely want to spread your money out here. Now, the other big economic issue that has a huge um, impact on the financial markets and stocks is, of course, this debt ceiling showdown that um, is going to be coming uh, sometime later this year. But there's already a lot of focus on this with uh, Janet Yellen saying that they're now having to use extraordinary measures to uh, to raise debt because of the debt ceiling. Uh, I happen to think, you know, my line on this, I wonder what you guys think. I, I've been telling investors that the chances of a debt default are very, very, very close to zero. It's not zero, but it's point zero zero one percent in my opinion. But how do you see this debt ceiling fight playing into the whole investment strategy? Well, you know, Steve, you and I have been around a lot longer than a lot of people, and we've seen this before, right? And it's like, you know, fool me once, shame on you, yeah, but fool me right. twice, shame on me. No, this is more uh, like you know they're going to resolve it. Times, they're going to take right? it to the last minute, right? They're going to take it right to the edge. Uh, right. But it's it's going to be business as usual, in my opinion. Yeah, and so do you agree with that, Ryan? I mean, should should investors be nervous about a debt default? Yeah. You know, I don't think they should, but I think longer term, you do have to think we're at 120 percent of GDP with exactly. debt. Um, it is extremely right. high. And I do think as a longer term concern, it's real. Um, I don't think you yeah. discount that. And I think that's another reason why you want to have a global portfolio here, because I mean, the reality of the U.S. is we have an aging population. Um, you know, we do have a lot of debt. And at some point, it's got to have, get addressed. I don't know if it's, it's going to be just inflation stays high, Steve. Um, you know, what the catalyst is going to be, but at some point it is going to come to roost. And I think you have to be mindful of it. I think shorter term, it's probably not as big an issue, but longer term it is. And I think when you're building portfolios and thinking about retirement, that's something you got to factor into the equation. You got to be careful. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I think that what investors should be focusing on is really the threat of not doing anything about this debt. And you mentioned that we're at about 120% of GDP on our debt. You know, if you look at the standard forecast, if we do nothing, you know, if we just stay on the course we're on, we're going to be at 200% of debt as a share of GDP in the next 10 or 15 years. And that that is a catastrophe. So I'm hoping uh, that they will come up with a deal that puts us at least on the path towards a balanced yes. budget. Uh, you're going to need more growth in the economy to get there. Um, we've only got a few minutes left. We talked about a few sectors. I, I have asked you this in past weeks, but I, I want to ask again, because again, these are the questions that I get asked. And by the way, I'm talking to Bob and Ryan Payne, two of the best of the business in Payne Capital Management. By the way, gentlemen, can you just really quickly give you the free consultation number for people who are interested? Yeah, if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement and you dial 844-752-6692 or text it 844-752-6692, Bob and I will run our famous total financial master plans where we look at everything. We'll do it at no obligation or cost at 844-752-6692, Steve. 
So the last question I have then is I spent the last week in Florida. Uh, lucky me, right? I was in Orlando. I was in Tampa. I was in Palm Beach. Some of the, you know, the very um, hot spots in the economy right now, everybody seems to be moving to Florida. And, uh, and you do see just an incredible boom in the real estate market that has only slowed down a little bit. Uh, but everybody is worried about the housing market. And how do you, what do you think about REITs and other kinds of investments that are tied to housing? Obviously, with the interest rates going up, that, that slows the housing market a bit. But uh, where do you think the housing market is headed? Well, in my opinion, you're seeing the 10-year Treasury, uh, which is really virtually where the, the mortgage market is tied to whatever rate you're seeing the 10-year. And we were just under 350 the other day, 3.5%. Right. So mortgage right. rates have actually declined, Steve. And we're seeing mortgage applications start right. to ramp up again. Right. Meanwhile, right. you know, the, again, the market's a discounting mechanism. So when you watch like some of the home builder stocks like Toll Brothers, you know, they bottomed in October and they've been in a, in a very strong bull market rally since then. So I think the market's anticipating that housing is going to turn around. There's certainly a huge demand for single family housing. So I think it's a, a matter of uh, when, not if. So, I mean, listening to this conversation, um, what I'm uh, gleaning from this is uh, is what Ryan loves to say, be bullish. Are you backing <laughs> off that, Ryan, or is that still the line? You sticking with it? I mean, I love your rhetorical question. You already know I'm going to answer that question. <laughs> uh, but, but, but look, I mean, it's but that's it's it's been the right view of everything, right? If things aren't as bad as been anticipated, the economic data is backing that up. As Bob likes to say, the world doesn't end very often, Steve. So I think being optimistic here, uh, I don't think the world's going to end. And I think that we could have a relatively strong year in the economy. And I think stock market's all already off to the races. If you're planning for retirement, you want to live off your money, you know, you've got to get a game plan in place. You can't sit in the yeah, sidelines and put your head in the yeah. sand. I I love it. I mean, I, you know, if you believe in America, you've got to be an optimist. Uh, you know, we've been through tough, good times and bad times, but the good times far outnumber the bad times. Right. And so uh, great advice. Be in the market. Be bullish. Uh, we will be right back. I've been talking to Bob and Ryan Payne. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. All right, guys. Woo, great good uh, stuff. Great man. Thank Thank you. You. Yeah. Terrific. Really good. Okay, talk Thanks, to you next Steve. Week. Bye. Bye, Steve. Have a good Thanks weekend. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. How do you take Social Security? How do you factor in that your costs are going to double over the next 20 years because of inflation? We're going to put together a full investment income game plan so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Did you get hit hard last year as many markets sold off a lot? Or were you sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, trying to figure out what to do as inflation has been sitting close to a 40-year high, we're going to put together a full investment game plan for you to show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life, especially when you're in retirement. And we're going to look at fees and income. Wall Street loves to sell you high-cost products that are very tax inefficient, and there's annuities, mutual funds, brokerage products, insurance products. We're going to show you how to reduce all the hidden costs on your portfolio, show you how to optimize your portfolio for taxes, give you our full tax playbook. It's not what you make. It's what you take. Then we're going to tie it all together in one total financial master plan to make sure you're set for the rest of your life. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PL. 
A-N-N-Y-C. If you're one of our next 10 callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own customized total financial master plan. Now, no obligation, no cost, but there won't be a plan if you don't text or call. 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-P-L-A-N-NYC. So, Bob. You know, at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, our boutique firm here in New York City. Um, we also have an office outside Philadelphia and Florida. Is, you know, being prepared financially, as we've learned, and the advice we give is more critical than ever. You know, especially given all the volatility and uncertainty we had last year. I thought we could discuss some of the lessons that you and I learned from 2022 that can help all of us make better financial decisions this year in 2023. Well, you know, right, it all comes down to planning and the one issue, and this is the biggest fear and the biggest thing that everyone should fear is inflation. Now, inflation's headline news, right? We've had, you know, the highest inflation in 40 years. It's got our attention. You know, we know the Federal Reserve's been fumbling the ball on inflation. But you know what? Before it made the headlines, it was always an issue, right? It's going to the cost of living is going to go up no matter what's happening out there, right? Yeah, well, you always say it's that hidden insidious tax, and it really is because it kind of creeps up. It didn't creep up only last year, but over time it does. And I always say, like, the good rule of thumb is your expenses are going to double over the next 20 years just to do the same thing. And if you don't have an inflation plan in your retirement plan, that's a big problem. And we talk about, like, a lot of these annuities that give you income for life. Well, it's the same amount of income year after year, yet your expenses are going higher because of the cost of living. And it's something I say most of you don't have factored into your retirement plan, and it's a huge issue. Well, you know, it's not just inflation. Inflation impacts your normal living expenses. But there's two areas that have had hyperinflation, and it's been there my whole life, right? And I, you know, I started this business almost 50 years ago, and I said, there's no way in the world these expenses could keep going up at this level. And those two areas are education and health care. And they both have been growing double inflation since the day I started in this business back in 1975. Yeah, no, it's really crazy. I mean, I, I went to Villanova and thanks for paying for the tuition, dad. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's astronomically more expensive today than it was over 20 years ago. Um, but you know, the other point of healthcare is the biggest good news, bad news is we're all living longer, which is great. Bad news is you need to account for your money to last a lot longer and there's a greater risk of health issues. And you know, one I guess, problem we solve for is you got to factor in what if $250,000 came out of your portfolio for healthcare costs? Does that have a dramatic impact negatively on your lifestyle? And most of us don't run those numbers. No, so true, Ryan. And the good news is no matter if you're ahead or behind in your planning, the best time to get an update is right now. So don't fret, you know, don't sit there and worry about it. Take that first step. And that's, that's the best way to not stress about some of these, uh, some of this hidden insidious tax we call inflation. Now, another area, Rye, that yeah. you know you got to be prepared for is unexpected market sell-offs. They happen, right? They're not predictable. What do you do about that? Well, as you like to say, risk is only known in hindsight. Like how many of us last year saw the market go down big, saw our portfolio go down big, and said, "Wait a minute, I thought I had a lot less risk in my portfolio than I actually do." 
And it's so critical because you have to be proactive when it comes to risk, because when markets do eventually sell off and there's volatility in your portfolio, well, again, it, there's no warning sign ahead. And we always think there's going to be. So I, I think one of the most important things you have to think about is how do you protect your downside, especially if you're living off of your portfolio? And if you got hit hard last year, that means you need to be really reevaluating that risk for retirement. You can't afford that kind of volatility in retirement. You've got to have income coming in regardless if the market's up or down. You've got to have protection in place that says, hey, if the market goes down, I'm not going to get hit that hard. And most of us found out last year, we're not protected. And this is a big problem for my retirement. You know, Rye, that's why having success at investing is so hard, right? It's so counterintuitive. How many clients have asked you in the last couple of years, how's the market going up when everybody knows things are so bad? Right. You know, things are so bad. But but, well, you know, the Fed's going to create interest rates. We have inflation. The economy's slowing down. Well, if you know these things, right, we call these bricks in the wall of worry, then everybody knows it. And it's already priced in. What you don't know well, is is a black swan event. That's the unexpected thing. And that's what you got to really be prepared for. Well, that's why you have to build your retirement plan around your goals, not what we think is going to happen next in the economy with interest rates. If we could do those things, we'd be on our yacht. <laughs> you know, nobody really <laughs> knows. So you have to start thinking longer term. You have to start thinking about, you know, what's the income I'm going to need in retirement? How do I generate that income? These more practical discussions and thoughts, not what we think is going to happen next with interest rates. It's unknowable. And I think this is where a lot of mistakes happen when you're building your plan. You build it on a what we call all or none proposition, right? We're definitely going to a recession. We definitely think interest rates are going to higher. Well, if they don't, if it doesn't happen, then you're 100% wrong. Then your portfolio and your retirement plan is 100% behind the eight ball. You know, you've got to be prepared for every situation, but most importantly, it all has to be correlated to your goals. What income do you need? That's what you have to solve for over the rest of your life. And most of you aren't doing that. We can tell you. No, right, because it's the it's the risk you already know. It's a risk you don't know, right? We call it a black swan event. You can't predict what's unpredictable. You can't know what's unknowable. But once you have a goal in mind, it actually becomes pretty simple to build a strategy based on what you need to accomplish, on what your goals are. You don't have to worry about your neighbor. You don't have to worry about your best friend from high school. You got to worry about you and your family. That's the key. Yeah. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, like I need that game plan. Um, like I said earlier, the world doesn't end very often. I've got to get my ducks in line, figure out what I'm doing with my retirement plan. Well, here's your shot to do it. We're down to four slots left. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our now famous total financial master plan. And we'll literally do that at no cost. There's no other firm out there that will do all this work up front. We literally will build for you your own personalized financial portal. We're going to hone in on every financial issue you need to address today. You need an income plan for retirement. How are you going to draw from your portfolio? You've got to be proactive about this. How do you take Social Security? How do you factor in inflation? We're going to put together a full income plan factoring inflation so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life. We're going to look at diversification. Did your portfolio get rocked last year? Did you take more risk than you thought? Or were you sitting in cash paralysis by analysis can't figure out what to do as inflation is at a 40-year high, we're going to put together a full diversified game plan for you, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. We'll do a deep dive of every investment you own, those annuities, insurance products, brokerage products, show you how to reduce that cost 
and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We'll give you our full tax playbook, then tie it all together into one total financial master plan to make sure you're secure for retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next six callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will create for you your own total financial master plan. Now, no obligation, no cost. But you won't have a plan if you don't text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just give us a call at 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, and if you want to learn more about our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. We're a boutique firm here in New York City. Go to bbullish.com. That's bbullish.com. And if you have questions for Bob and I, go to bbullish.com slash questions. We answer all your questions directly. Stay tuned. We got more, more money coming your way. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Bob Payne, Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management with this week's market update. This week on the Street of Dreams, markets rose for the third consecutive week and continue to confound the widely held consensus opinion that stocks would fall in the first half of the year and even test the lows of September as the Federal Reserve continued to raise rates and then rally after mid-year when the Federal Reserve would finally stop tightening. But as markets often do, they ignore the experts and flip the script to frustrate as many market participants as possible. Global markets have surged in January, with the S&P 500 up 6%, the NASDAQ up 11%, international stocks up 9%, and emerging markets up 10% so far in 2023. Now, there's no big secret about what's driving the market. The Fed's policies to curb inflation have been working, and inflation has been falling. This week, the core PCE inflation, the Fed's preferred measure, rose 4.4% from a year ago, its smallest annual increase since October of 2021. Now, another sign that the Fed's policies are working is the money supply. The money supply growth rate for December was a negative 1.3% versus a year ago the lowest ever, and marking the first ever decline in M2 based on all data available. Meanwhile, the 10-year Treasury yield is down from its highs and holding with a yield of 3.5%. Now, the market is betting that the Fed will see enough improvement to stop hiking rates in the near future. That would be good news, of course, because investors' big fear is that the central bank will tighten right into the teeth of a recession. Now, the Federal Open Market Committee is widely expected to raise the federal funds rate by only 25 basis points this coming Wednesday. And with the recently reported better than expected fourth quarter GDP report, it's raising hopes that the Fed may actually manage a soft landing. What the Fed ultimately does or does not do is anyone's guess. But the markets have shown us once again in real time that no one ever gives us an all clear signal on when to invest. And there are times like now when they do more harm than good. As Warren Buffett says, the only value of stock forecasters is to make fortune tellers look good. That time in the market is more important than timing the market. And as I always say, when it comes to the financial markets and achieving your financial goals, it's always better to be approximately correct than precisely wrong. 
Hey, my son, Ryan, and I, we have 68 years of combined industry experience of building tax-efficient, low-cost, goal-based portfolios. For your free evaluation, all you need to do is text or call right now, 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692, or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, this is Bob Payne. I'm the Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. I'm Steve Moore, uh, economist. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, my guest this afternoon, by the way, I will take some of your calls at the end of the show. It's 1-800-848-9222. The question of the day is, do you think we should have school choice for all parents and for all school children across the country, regardless of their income, so they can choose a good school for their kids. I want to hear from you, 1-800-848-9222. But before we get to that, I am so um, pleased that our next guest, Jim Pearson, is a friend, a colleague, one of the smartest intellectuals I know, and one of the smartest financial guys I know. His name is Jim Pearson. He is a senior fellow at the Outstanding um, Manhattan Institute. Jim, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Uh, Steve, it's great to be with you. You're too kind. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's get right down to it. The reason I wanted to have you on today, Jim, is because you've written this outstanding, uh, I don't know if we'd call it a booklet uh, or, or what you call it, but it's a short uh, read, maybe uh, 40 or 50 pages about what you call the growth deficit. And as soon as I saw that, report. I said, you've really put your finger on the problem in America today. As I understand it, what you're saying, Jim, is that the economy has a kind of secular slowdown in the economy, a secular stagnation that is really costing us jobs, it's costing us prosperity, and it's making our budget problems worse. So can you explain what's going on here with the economy and why this is such a disturbing trend? Uh, well, thank you, Steve. I'll be happy to. Well, as I say in the short book, uh, growth in America has been slowing down since the 1950s and 60s. Uh, and in that period, we had an annual real uh, GDP growth rates of 4 or 5% through that period. Mm -hmm. yep. It slowed down a little bit in the 70s, 80s, and 90s to around 3 3.5%, but that's still very good. But in the last 20 years, since uh, about 2000, the annual GDP growth rate has slowed down to around 2%. Yeah. In other words, about half the rate of growth that right. we had in the, in the 1960s. And I think right. you pointed out on your wire yesterday that the Congressional Budget Office is projecting growth rates over the next 10 years of less than that, 1.5, yeah. 1.6, 1.7%. Yeah, right. So – that would be the case for kind of a secular slowdown in American growth rates. So what constitutes growth? Well, there are two big factors which determine how quickly an economy will grow. One is the number of workers, population right. growth, worker growth. Uh, so uh, during the 1950s and 1960s, we're adding workers at a fairly rapid rate to the U.S. economy about 1.5 percent uh, workers per year. That actually grew in the 1970s. 
because women and baby boomers are joining the workforce. So we had a fairly good expansion of the number of workers in the workforce in that whole period. It slowed down a little bit in the 1980s and 1990s, but it really slowed down in the last 20 years. So in the last 20 years, the workforce has been growing at about a half a percent per year compared to almost 2% in that period from the 1950s through the 1970s. In other words, about a quarter of that rate. So we've got fewer workers, uh, not fewer workers, but the number of workers not growing as rapidly. Right. The other right. thing that's happened is that the productivity of the workers, that's the other factor, number of workers and the productivity per worker is also slowing down. So what's productivity? That's determined by education, skills, and technology of the workforce. So uh, productivity per worker, that's output per worker, in the 1950s and 1960s was 3 or 4% per year. We're growing pretty rapidly. Yeah, right. Now, uh, in recent years, it's down to around 1%, 1.5%. We had a short so, spurt of growth in the, 80, in the late 1990s due to computers, but yeah. – Computerization of the economy has not improved productivity very much. So, so you know, hold on. Let me let me just interrupt you. Workers. Let me interrupt yep. you there for a second because that's a surprising thing that you just said. And that, you know, I'm I'm actually astounded by that. That you would have thought that the internet revolution and the digital age would be rapidly expanding productivity of workers. You know, um, because we're you know, working with our finger on our fingertips right now on computers and things like that. And you're saying it's not really raised the productivity no. of workers the way we had hoped. It hasn't happened. The internet. Why hasn't it? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the famous economist James Tobin has said that the statistics about computers are everywhere except in the productivity statistics where it doesn't uh -huh. show up. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, that is really a big question, why that hasn't happened. You know, Peter Thiel uh, has said that, you know, when the computer age started, we thought that we'd be flying around to Mars and so on. But instead, we got 140 characters. Instead of flying to Mars, we got Twitter. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> right. so right. we've gotten the kind of technology that entertains us. Right. This is a lot more information, but it's it's not made us more productive as an economy. So that's very so do you surprising. So we, we, what do you think? Are, yeah. I was going to say, what, what do you think about, I mean, I keep, um, when I talk to technology people, and I do talk to folks at Silicon Valley, uh, Jim, I'm talking to Jim Pearson, who is a uh, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and has written a great booklet called The Growth Deficit. But, you know, artificial intelligence seems to be coming quickly. You know, robotics, uh, the ability of um, computers and robots to do a lot of the work, you know, that, that uh, I was just watching a video that my son was showing me on, on the Internet, you know, showing these amazing things these robots and computers can do. So would do you hold out hope that those kinds of innovations could yeah. raise productivity? I mentioned that in the booklet and that this is all possible. It just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And it may be the one thing that might save us out into the future because, as I say, the, the number of workers population is not growing that fast. Actually, people are exiting the workforce. As you, yeah. you've pointed out many times, yeah. we're paying people not to work.
Yes. So that, they, is, that if, is a huge we, problem. Yeah, so we've got those things. Now, one of the things I say in the, in the booklet is that because growth has slowed down, we've begun to rely upon debt and borrowing as a way right. to preserve our lifestyle. Right. And so government borrows more and everybody borrows more. And that, to some extent, makes up for the slow growth. Now, that's not a good thing, obviously, because you got to pay that debt back. And when you borrow, that takes uh, uh, resources away from future growth. Yeah. So, but that it's a temporary addiction due to uh, low interest rates and slow growth. As I point out, uh, from the 1950 into the 1980s, total debt in the economy represented about 1.5% of GDP. Mm-hmm. That was very stable. Today, the debt to GDP is about four to one. Gosh, so that's if our GDP is about $24 trillion, total credit market debt, that includes government debt, corporate debt, consumer debt, and mortgage debt is about $92 trillion. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, Jim, we've just got a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you a couple of other quick questions. By the way, I'd love to have you come on in the weeks to come because this is a fascinating subject for our listeners. But, um, you know, when you talk about the growth of the economy in the, in after World War II in the late 40s and 50s, you know, people don't realize that there was a massive contraction in government. Remember, government was almost half yeah. of our economy during the peak yeah. of World War II. And a lot of economists thought, oh, God, we're going to have another severe, you know, Great Depression after the war is over because we're going to be cutting government spending. So government spending went from like 48 percent of our GDP down to like 15 percent of our GDP. And yet the economy boomed. And then you look at the situation today where the, the government is now practically it's growing faster than the private sector. And I wonder if that's part of the problem here. Uh, yes, I think so, Steve. That's a very good point, because after the war, we transitioned very quickly from public spending to private spending. Right. Instead of building, building tanks, uh, we bought built automobiles and refrigerators and that kind of thing, and television sets for the consumer. That's all true. Yes, one of the things I say at the end of the book is that government, the growth of government is gradually strangling the economy. It is, yep. Because we've created so many interest groups that are interested more in the distribution of resources than in the creation of resources. They care more about how we're going to spend than how we create wealth. And, by the way, they are also, because they have to tax to get the resources, and they're not just borrowing, they're taxing, they're taxing the people who are productive, right? So that actually reduces productivity. Yeah, so you have all these groups that circle around the government who are trying right. to get more money to regulate more. Now, we won't get into the whole question of energy if we really want Let's to talk grow. talk about that next time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we would turn loose our energy resources. But I think the big point is that, that uh, this big government that you mentioned, with all the groups that it's created, is gradually strangling the growth and innovation of our private economy. And that is you know, a large issue. As you point so, out, we're paying people not to work. Yeah. And we're paying people not to produce. And, and, then uh, and then we're taxing people who do produce. I mean, it's amazing. Do. Hey, Jim, I got I to gotta jump. I'd yep. love to have you on in the, in the weeks to follow. That's Jim Pearson, who is with the Manhattan Institute, a great pamphlet. How do people get that, by the way, Jim? 
Uh, they can go to the website of Encounter Books, and you can order it there, encounter.org. Okay. Awesome. That's Jim Pearson. Uh, thanks so much, Jim. Talk to you soon. I've got about three. Take a couple quick calls because I know I promised I'd get to you with this is live radio, folks. We don't pre-record this. So I want to have uh, I want to ask our producer, do we have any uh, callers? 1-800-848-9222 is the hotline. Do we have any callers, Mr. Producer? Yes, we do. We have Daryl in Hillsdale. Daryl, thanks for calling. I've got uh, just a few minutes left, and I want to get to a few more callers. What do you got for us? Great job out there. Really appreciate your uh, your information. We're uh, we're a family. We were uh, originally in uh, Chicago, and our oldest daughter was just bringing home some of the most vile and ignorant and just terrible education. And uh, I addressed it with the was board. This the, was this and, and in the eight. textbooks? Was this in the textbooks or what the teachers were teaching? Uh, because the, I was uh, the, curriculum, the curriculum itself was, uh, wasn't even an appropriate topic for the age group. Right. Uh, right. First, yep. Kindergarten, first grade, two-thirds of, the, uh, two-thirds of the curriculum is about Martin Luther King. <laughs> My my kid didn't know anything about any of the early explorers, oh the early inventors, oh black yeah. or white or green or purple. She didn't right. know any of that stuff, and so and it was just it was horrific. And so, it, do you think do you think that we should have? What do you think about my question about? And by the way, well, you're, I'm so glad you called because you're confirming exactly what I was saying and what I've experienced, and so many of our listeners have about how horrific our school curriculums are now. What do you think about the idea of a school voucher system and let the, let the parents decide the schools? Oh, most definitely. Oh, most definitely. My, my, I, I'm going to take you a half a step further. I think anyone that's being coerced into paying school taxes, if they don't have a student, they shouldn't be paying that, 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 uh, that tax. And individuals that uh, do have students in the school system, they should have free range to take that yeah. money or some Amen. of the allocated funds to uh, right. what is appropriate for them, whether yeah. they want a, a music uh, slanted or yeah. a historical or a religious or an athletic. Yeah. I mean, I we love hear it. all hey, the time about athletes moving around. Great points, but I got to squeeze in one more call, Daryl. I'm so glad you called in. We have time for one more quick caller, Mr. Producer. You better be down. Yes, we do. We have time for uh, Judy in Manhattan. Judy, we've got about 90 seconds left. Thanks for calling. Okay. Um, Yes, I think uh, school vouchers are very important. Also, please examine the impact of UNESCO's education for. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. What is you explain what explain what you explain what UNESCO is? Uh, I I don't really know except that it's it's the United Nations. It's it's a United Nations program uh, that that deals with education, and they they it's it's just left wing craziness, right? And I believe that they they train activists. Uh, It's all based on. Um, an MGIEP program, uh, SDG 4.7, which is a digital curriculum that they suggest, yeah. and they make it very easy for teachers to use their program. 
to program it's, their own teaching. And yeah. it's a little and it's scary. Left Judy, we got about 20 seconds left, but, I mean, you're so right. I, I, you know, these, these, the people writing the curriculum are left-wingers who hate America. They want to force on the Americans these, this LGBTQ uh, curriculum. And I think it's awful. I'm not, look, I'm not homophobic. I just want to make sure that kids are learning the basics uh, about this great country, about how to be proficient in math and reading. They can't get the basics right, but they're teaching, uh, you know, kids about, uh, you know, uh, homosexuality in the second grade. Outrageous. We've got to change that system, folks. This is the More Money Show. Have a great weekend, folks. I'll be with you next week on WABC Talk Radio. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.